Hello, fans. This is Justin Cox. And Brandon Williams. And we are the Between the Uprights College Football Show. Well, fans, it's finally that time of the year again. We are back, baby. Season five? Yep. Yep. Season five. It's nice to be back. So we've been away for quite a few months. So let's give just a real quick update on what both of us have been up to during that time. I'll let you go first. Well, I graduated with my master's in business administration, master's in sports business management. Up in the next couple of weeks, I am. I worked at a hotel for a little bit, a five star hotel. That was pretty cool. Absolutely hated it. <laughs> and then, well, I didn't hate it. I just did not like the boss there. I care too much for it. And now I'm at the Amazon at a Amazon XL that ships all like the big screen TVs and your generators. And you know, that's pretty much what's going on with my life. So what you're telling me is our outro for the season should be Jeffrey Bezos by uh, Bo Burnham, right? (laughs) Yes, essentially. (laughs) Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos. (laughs) 40, wait, what was it like? 43? Born in 1964. (laughs) Um, so for me, I am now working at Disney. Um, I am working part-time at Epcot and then I'm working per diem for a healthcare company called Impact Health. And my riding gig with uh, the Midwest Metal Show is kicking back up in the full swing. So I am back on the road covering concerts. Uh, covered the Green Day concert with Fall Out Boy and Weezer last weekend up in Jacksonville. And got a couple festivals and smaller shows coming up for the fall. So excited about that. All you right. mean the Penguin from Toy Story? <laughs> uh For today's episode, we are going to um, go through some of the biggest off-season storylines, and then um, we're going to give our conference previews uh, starting today. This will be a three-week series. Um, Today's part will cover the ACC, the American, and the Group of Five. So without any further ado, let's get to it. So first off... um, our first storyline have to start off with this is the name image likeness bill being added for the NCAA. So what does this mean? Athletes are now allowed to make money off of their name image and like, and uh, spon- uh, likeness. So like sponsorships, basically uh, with different companies for different things, what have you, they can make money for appearances, whatever it may be. So how much are athletes making in football and in other sports? Uh, we're going to discuss the Eric King layer as Brandon's story of the week, uh, but also a couple figures to note. Uh, Bryce Young, the new quarterback for Bama, is in the six figures. And the Cavender sisters, who are women's basketball players for Fresno State with a huge uh, TikTok following, uh, around 3 million followers on TikTok, could be making seven-figure salaries, like more than their coaches. So how do you think this will affect college athletics? Well, I really think that you opened Pandora's box here, and this is why. So I gave Cox a challenge, and Cox, what, what, what did you look up? I tried to look up examples in history where um, giving, trying to provide equality for all or equal opportunity for all actually backfired. 
So I'm going to give a few examples here. And you can tell me if they're too far or not. But, you know, I'm going to go with the French Revolution. I almost almost mentioned that. And then I was almost going to make a joke about the civil rights movement. And then I decided that would be way too far of a joke. (laughs) People might think I was serious. (laughs) Well, when you look at the French Revolution, what came right after the French Revolution was Robespierre and the Reign of Terror. Mm-hmm. So what about the Emancipation Proclamation? You know, pretty good. Things like that. Well, you can make an argument that it became sharecroppers and then they were financially in debt to their former farmers. So it actually made things even worse off. You could also make the argument that, you know, the American Revolution, but it was really our founding fathers kind of saying, no, we don't really want to pay taxes to a state that doesn't even give us any representation. And that's what that whole thing was about. So my argument is, is that the rich is going to get richer. I will challenge to say, like, Bryce Young, I'm, he hasn't even played it down. Am I correct about that or not? I don't know if he's never played it down, but I know he's never started a game. So same difference. And he's making over 100K, right? Yeah. How many of these little schools can even muster that? So, like, you had some upset. Like, today, the Gators had a uh, three-star running back, an in-state recruit, choose Utah over the Gators. That's not going to happen when business starts coming in. Nobody's going to pick, you know, like, the starting role at Florida when you can make 100 k at Alabama. Nobody's going to pick UCF. It's all going to be about where that paycheck is coming from and who has the money. Therefore, the richer become richer because, you know, they have that market base. They have that fan base. They have the money there already. Also, what I think is going to happen is recruits are going to start heading to major cities. So, you know, your SMUs, your Orlando's, it's going to be interesting to see if that will Still, some of the traditional college towns like Oxford or Mississippi State, where or like you know, just these little states that don't have that money, don't have that fan base, don't have the equal opportunity resources, is it going to diminish the conference value? And that's where the money is going to go is to these metropolitan areas with larger populations and larger businesses. See, it's funny that you made that comment because I've literally got in my notes that uh, athletes could choose schools based on their donor base and their markets. Like I wonder about UCF, SMU, and Temple. So we're, we're thinking along the exact same lines on that. Um, but also, though, I, I will say on some of the college town, like more traditional college towns that are um, uh, in big power five schools, like say Wisconsin and Madison and Wisconsin, just throwing that out as an example. Morgantown? Morgantown, West Virginia. Um, for University of West Virginia. So I, for the schools like that, yes, the market itself is smaller, but the school enrollment is still quite large. And so I think that the donor base is going to help um, offset some of that because um like shoot like okay you mentioned auburn didn't you is one of those schools 
Because Auburn, but you can go with Auburn. Okay, so there, there's nothing at all in Auburn, Alabama, basically. But Dr. James Andrews, who is the world's most renowned surgeon for orthopedics, he is an Auburn alum. So he might be able to offer certain deals for different players that, you know, uh, go to his clinic and uh, receive care from it. Like things like that, I think still keep some of these places alive is it's not just all about who currently lives there. It's about who has come through there. You know, Gainesville, Florida is not a particularly big town either, but like Tom Petty is from Gainesville. You know, had he, when he was alive, had this been a thing, and had he decided that he wanted to sponsor some athletes, he very well could have. I'm not worried about that so much. What I'm more worried about is mid-major schools in small um, um, cities, such as, like, North Dakota State or something. That's where I'm more worried. That being said, um, I do think that it's going to actually provide an opportunity for some of these mid-major schools that are in large markets to make a jump that they wouldn't have been able to without this. UCF's going to be roaring back. Temple was thought to be a dead program. I think they'll roar back. SMU, the Pony Express, is going to be back up. Like, I think that that's something that we're going to see in the future. Honestly, I think that the AAC is probably the conference that or, or one of the conferences that has the most to gain from this because you look at the markets that are represented by the AAC. Um, you have, I'm just going to pull up the standing so I have everything in front of me. Um, Dallas. You have, um, okay. You've got Cincinnati, which is a, uh, town that hosts multiple uh, professional sports leagues. You have Houston. You have Memphis. You have SMU. You have South Florida, which low-key, Tampa is actually a big market, Tampa St. Pete. You've got Temple in Philadelphia. You've got Tulane in New Orleans. You've got UCF in Orlando. I think it could end up low-key becoming a major power player because of this. Well, I'm the other thing I'm going to be interested or a couple other things I'm going to be interested in. One, athletes across all sports will be able to make bank. I was worried it was going to be only football and basketball stars, but we mentioned the following of TikTok. But also, my dad actually made this point. So I don't know how much golf you've ever, ever watched, but everything with a golfer is sponsored. Uh, all the different clubs, all the different bags, all the different hats, what have you. What if college golfers? which college golf is not a majorly watched sport, start getting sponsored the same way as professionals. They could be making big money. And then in basketball, how does this affect the G League Ignite stuff? Because they tried to start a league for people that wanted to go ahead and make money and skip college. But if kids can make money in college, then does that kill the Ignite team? Well, I do have several concerns about this. I'm not sure if you 100% agree, but I was wondering with the introduction of money, does it kind of kill the Cinderella stories? No, because those come up even in professional sports. I mean, you and I are both soccer fans. Look at Leicester City. 
I mean, I guess, but Vardy went off that season. He did, but if you would have told me before the season Leicester City was going to win the Premier League, I would have thought you had three heads. I think you get the I think you don't get your Liberties or your Coastal Carolinas as much. I also have a point here that I would have liked to see them kind of have a phased opening to it and kind of test the water to figure out exactly what we're going into before opening Pandora's box. I think that there also should be a sponsorship cap due to each athlete. So that way it's kind of equal across the board. So that way you don't have like a roster payroll of like a million for one team and then like, you know, 50,000 for the other. See, I'm with you on that, on the max cap. I, I think that that makes sense. Because like, that's how the pros have kept it kind of competitive, I guess, or tried to. Mm-hmm. Is with that cap is like, there needs to be something. Also right now, everything's kind of like up in the air with regulations. And like, it's kind of like everything's in a white gray area and it should have just been tested before like going all out on it. I will say to play devil's advocate slightly, the sport, the professional sport though, that has the most Cinderella stories, at least in American sports, is the one that actually doesn't have a salary cap, MLB. Because look at the Rays. The Rays were bottom of the payroll every year, and you know they were in the World Series last year. Uh, the Royals have won a World Series in the past five years. The Mets, like yeah, okay, they they technically yes, they are they are in New York, but they're the second team in New York, and they when they made it to the World Series, they uh, were their owners were had all their money lost from the uh, uh, Bernie Madoff stuff so that does happen from time to time in baseball weirdly enough more than basketball or football um the other thing i'm I'm worried about the one one only other thing is i really hope that the quinn ewers situation does not become something of the norm Quinn Ewers is the number two quarterback in the class of 2022, and he should be legitimately excellent. But you left Southlake Carroll early to make money. And I, I'm worried that more people might follow suit because I don't think that it's a good idea to have people skipping out on their final year of high school. You know, 17 and 18 year old kids to be put in this situation. That being said, on the flip side of that, I wonder if this will end up helping with some bust potential for people going into professional leagues, like say Johnny Manziel. If he would have gotten all you know a lot of money when he was at A and M and had guidance with it provided by the school, I don't think he would have busted out in the league nearly quite as bad as he did because his problem was never on the field; it was off the field stuff. You know, don't act like his off the field stuff was light though. Oh no. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think it's a pity. You know, the kid is being dumb. You only get a. I know that you're a big pride accomplishment, but you never got a D one scholarship. But like being on your state championship team, that brotherhood, that mm-hmm. one more year of development. He's coming in as a probably you know. A 17-year-old, probably not built. He's not built like the rest of the guys because he's the youngest one. Yeah. He has to wait to get 
his body to physically mature into that role. He needs to develop that one more year that high school probably would have given him to do it. Now he's just going to be on the bench and, you know, might, might hurt his depth chart, you know, might be like the fourth string. They might never see him as more than that because he came in too early in first impressions. I just oh, yeah. also you have a seventeen year old running around in college. Good God, <laughs> he's um, like a literal minor. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, and he's going to Ohio State, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's scary. Sending your kid to Columbus when he's like seventeen. Mm-hmm. Like obviously he's not. Mentally mature, like I wasn't mentally mature enough to go. Well, I went to college when I was 17 because, you know, the weird kind of like age birth I had August 15th, like I just made the cutoff. But like, I, I still had the extra year of schooling to give me that maturity to be able to jump into it. He's not going to have that. So I'm wondering if he crashes and burns in college, like, you know, Johnny Manziel did into pros or Chad Kelly did or you know like if he crashes or burns or if he actually learns how to thrive I think that he's going to have to have a lot of guidance in order to be able to succeed with all the big lights and distractions of Ohio State now all that said just real simply do you think that this overall is a good idea I do not think that children should not be skipping high school for sports. Okay, okay. I don't mean with Quinn Ewers. I mean just name image likeness overall. I think it is good to a extension. It could have been rolled out. I think it could have been a lot more methodically, you know, it just kind of got overturned. Like the court ruling got overturned and all of a sudden it just kind of opened Pandora's box. I feel like the NCAA should have been testing the waters like, you know, thinking about this for a long time on how to roll out this program and instead of just kind of like opened up. I, so I'm I with think you. it's good to a certain extent. I'm with you on that. I, I am with you on that. I'm a big proponent of it. I do think it has some concerns, but I, I am a big proponent of it. Now, one thing, though, that I think you and I are both going to agree is a very, very bad move for college football. Oklahoma and Texas are moving to the SEC. Uh, so first off, how does this affect the Big 12? I think it completely kills it as a conference. I mean, it's pretty much dead. I thought I saw like the revenue is like ridiculous. I, I, I don't want to misquote it, but it was something like I think around 30 maybe percent or something comes for those two schools or something like that. I could definitely see that. And that's the thing is that. You're losing your big money schools. The schools actually make you relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only one that's ever represented, wait, that's a lie. Then Oklahoma's not the only big 12 team that made it to the playoffs, right? Then, no, they are. No, no, they are. I was thinking about like Baylor because, you know, that was just the year before. They almost made it, but they didn't. They almost made it, yeah. But like Oklahoma's the only team that actually ever represented them. I'm just wondering what happens with the Big 12 in general, and we'll get to that later, but with the SEC and how it affects the SEC? Yeah, what do you think? I'm with you. It lose, it, the Big 12 is going to lose our football prowess. I think it's going to ultimately break the conference up. I've already seen where some schools like Kansas and Iowa State are in talks with the Big 10, whereas some schools like potentially Texas Tech might go to the Pac-12. 
Uh, I think that this just overall is going to end up breaking up the conference. Some will go to the Big Ten. Some will go to the Pac-12. Some will go to the American. Um, now, that being said, um, uh, Bob Bowlesby, uh, the commissioner of the Big 12, and George Keeve, I'm going to butcher this name, Fiatkoff, who's the new commissioner of the Pac-12, are discussing an alliance and a possible merger there. Uh, but that would be the best case situation for the Big 12, honestly. Now, how does this affect the SEC? I think the SEC obviously gets stronger, and the West could be the greatest division ever assembled. But the thing I absolutely hate, and, and I, I hope this is true, there, there's only one way I think you can do this and do it some, somewhat right. That is breaking up Oklahoma and Texas. You put Texas in the West and you put Oklahoma in the East. Now, does that make sense geographically? Hell no. But it, it didn't make sense geographically when they added Missouri to the East either. If you do that, though, you add, you have Oklahoma, Florida, and Georgia in the East, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, and Texas in the West, pretty even. And you also have um, um, the protected rivalry being Oklahoma, Texas, so you're not breaking up any rivalries. The thing that I hate is there's this idea of them going to quadrants, which is basically there's four different quadrants. You play um, the other three teams in your quadrant every year, and then you play two teams from each of the other quadrants uh, rotating around every year. I hate that idea because that breaks up a lot of traditional rivalries like LSU-Alabama and Alabama-Tennessee and Florida-LSU and a bunch of major rivalries. And I think you'll agree with this. The thing that makes the SEC the SEC in large part is the rivalries and the culture. You just can't destroy that. Well, you see, I don't think Oklahoma and Texas like they're going to split them down. I, I'm a proponent of moving Alabama and Auburn to the east. Because you keep, you keep Auburn Georgia's rivalry alive. You keep mm-hmm. Alabama Tennessee's rivalry alive. You keep Oklahoma and Texas, and then, you know, Arkansas is a traditional foe against them as well because of the old Southwest Conference. And the only rivalry that you're losing there is LSU-Alabama, but that's the only one that's basically popped up since Nick Saban went to Bama, so. Well, actually, you could preserve it because they wouldn't be in the cross-divisional play anymore with Tennessee. They could make their West opponent LSU. No, because then that would destroy the Florida-LSU rivalry. Uh, I guess you're See what right, I'm saying? at the same time, it does just make, uh, to me, it makes more geographical sense because, you know, travel and things like that. I'm with you on that, um, but I think we're both agreeing it has to be divisions. It can't be quadrants. <laughs> well, quadrants is, like, stupid. Is it, are we going to the NFC? <laughs> like, <laughs> it makes no sense. Also, somebody's going to get a cupcake quadrant, like... Yeah, we yeah. get Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Vanderbilt. <laughs> Heck yeah, bro. <laughs> Essentially, you're going to be like, okay, for the top of the SEC, there's going to be like a lot more competition because you're going to add Oklahoma, Texas, and then you're going to have Georgia, Florida, historically Tennessee, but no longer LSU, Alabama, 
we also got the bottom feeders at the conference, and somebody's going to get a cakewalk every year. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way, unless you're going to have a cupcake on quadrant. <laughs> <laughs> so, one hypothetical um, quadrant system. Just one hypothetical. Actually, I don't like that one. I want to. I'm trying to find the the idea. Um, so I saw this from Athlon Sports. Um. Okay, one pod: Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, South Carolina. One pod: Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, Vanderbilt. Another LSU, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Texas A&M. Then the last one, Arkansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, Texas. Um, if this would have been last year, Texas A&M would have been in a complete cupcake quadrant. They would have had LSU, Mississippi State, and Ole Miss. Alabama, yeah. Alabama's run would definitely be more dominant, too, because they'd have Auburn, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. We know Tennessee and Vanderbilt, or Tennessee hasn't been anything since, like, I can I can still remember when Tennessee was good, but it's getting harder with each passing year. <laughs> Must also be from the long term effects of alcohol, but <laughs> oh come on! <laughs> <laughs> and see that, folks, is why you keep coming back to the show. It's banner like that between us. Uh, <laughs> uh, now the last thing with this that we have to discuss. Is the Big 12's lawsuit against ESPN? Do you want to take the floor on this, Brandon? <laughs> I just kind of find it a little kind of funny in general. You want to explain what it is? I think it's hilarious. Oh, you mean my Trump reference earlier? Yeah. <laughs> Where you just sit there in 2016, you make outrageous claims. Yes, yeah, so, you get some people to start believing them, and then it becomes fact because you control the narrative. I'm just wondering, like the Big Twelve, do they actually, if they had actual hard evidence, don't you think they would have posted that? One hundred percent. Basically, they're trying to say that like ESPN was harming the Big Twelve by uh, leaking the story out early that Oklahoma and Texas were going to the SEC, which is. Yeah, uh, I understand why you're trying to make the claims from a business standpoint, but just yeesh. Like, I mean, like, did you want Loge to do it first? I'm sorry. (laughs) Adam Schefter. (laughs) That man can do everything. (laughs) It's just so funny to me because I'm just like, I understand the conference is dying and it's changing Everscape football. But, like, I don't think it's going to create these so-called super conferences quite yet. But I do see the formation interesting, and I'm wondering if there's one conference to gain the most out of this. Because you also saw the Big 12 was talking about the AAC as well. I think the AAC has huge grounding get this actually same I think they're the conference other than the SEC that's gaining the most because they're going to get several teams probably from the Big 12 and then also let's tie in the discussion we're going to have about the expanding playoff they're getting ready to expand the playoff to 12 teams six will be automatic champions uh, or six will be conference champions six will be automatic uh, will be um, uh, at large buy-ins so well, that's changing because the Big Twelve is dying. 
So if you go to that system, doesn't that guarantee that the American is going to always have a team in the in the playoff? Has to. So I, I think that's going to be a major win for the conference because all of a sudden they're getting uh, validated. Now, that being said, if I'm in another conference, I vote against expansion of the playoff because the conference that has the most game by far from it is the SEC. And if I really want to stick it to the SEC, I'm saying, all right, you're, you can add Oklahoma and Texas. You're still only getting one team in the playoff. <laughs> Um, now, a couple other quick-hitting storylines to get to. First, uh, going back to COVID updates. Um, so, how is the NCAA and individual conferences handling vaccine rollout and pro- uh, protocols entering the season? Uh, schools are now allowed to mandate vaccinations. Uh, meanwhile, NFL locker rooms are facing some strong battles with players like Cole Beasley and Kirk Cousins not wanting to get vaccinated. So, I'm interested to see if college football follows the NFL model and if the, there are behind the scenes battles in college locker rooms, like we're seeing in the NFL, they're just not getting reported. Well, also like, I, I think I saw this story where the SEC was saying that you, if you have a COVID outbreak, it's no, you can no longer just reschedule. I think you have to take the forfeit. Okay. So that would be like the NFL. Yeah, I think that's like a little interesting. I wonder, I think this is a developing story because I do think the second wave is coming like right now due to the fact that Florida has like the most cases it's had since the beginning of the pandemic. So I'm kind of curious to see if it actually changes within the next month or so. Well, really, it's like a fourth wave and it's entirely for the most part within uh, vaccinated populations. But... um, yeah, it is going to be interesting to see how it happens. Also, I think that this is going to be a case where if we see a team that we expect to be really, really good on paper come out and just completely look flat or become a dumpster fire during the season, it's going to be because of these locker room battles, I, in my opinion, because that's going to have the ability to potentially destroy a locker room culture. Um. Next storyline, the NCAA has announced that they are going to speed up the investigation of their infractions. Uh, So, and and they're changing overall the way that they're investigating. So, watch the impact of this going forward. Uh, The first thing that came to my mind was when we thought that the shoe was going to drop on the college basketball infractions from several years ago, we still don't have all the programs that were supposed to be named due to this. So, I think that... um, uh, this is going to actually be in a more timely fashion and should actually affect the people committing the crimes. What about you? Um, I just hope that they give equal penalty. <laughs> <laughs> like, I forgot what other program did basically what Missouri did. Was it UNC? Yeah. Oh, UNC and was bad. <laughs> I'm saying that as a Cardinal fan. The wrist, and then Missouri got like freaking sacked. <laughs> well, UNC like, football got hit hard and the basketball program didn't face hardly anything. That was the funniest thing. But yeah, like Missouri got like hit because of like the tutors and things like that. that they were just like doing or tests or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I'm just wondering if, like, that will equal, like, 
less strict penalties or more strict penalties because if you're doing like a brief thing they're just gonna be like okay this penalty this penalty this penalty this penalty you know mm-hmm. where it's gonna be more of a brief like hey you did this penalty here you go but there could have been like a lot more like roaches in the wall if you know what I mean yeah um now, one last storyline that we did add to this outline uh, from yesterday. It was just too big of a story. We had to include it. Bobby Bowden passed away. He was 91 years old. He was second all time in wins and one of the greatest coaches ever. Uh, do you have any thoughts? Well, it was actually pretty sad. Didn't he just get the diagnosis of like terminal illness like three weeks ago? Yeah. So it was like relatively soon. But Bobby meant a lot to the game of football, and he did he did quite a bit for the University of Florida, or Florida State University. I think it was twenty seven years, if I'm not mistaken. It was a long, long time. He's he, second. He was wins. there for a long time, and he helped, he helped raise this sport in Florida up until that point. The sport of Florida, it was just a U. Like there was no program that competed mm-hmm. until Florida, and then. Florida State and now UCF coming up here once in a while in USF. Like Florida owes a great due to its college football legacy and history to that man. Well, and the thing is too, so I will admit I I did not grow up hating Florida State because I was not a Gator fan until I went to UF. That being said, I always had the absolute and to this day, I always had the absolute utmost respect for Bowden. Because he wasn't just a great coach. He was a great leader who helped develop great young men. And he was not afraid to kick players off if he could not get them to his standard like Randy Moss. Randy Moss, one of the greatest receivers of all time, got kicked off Florida State. And to this day, Moss says that that was one of the main things that helped turn his life around. Like he he made it a point not just to develop football players, but to develop men and young leaders. And there is something that is irreplaceable about that. That's something that unfortunately you don't see enough of in today's college athletics. He will be duly missed. Now and making what and, and making a little bit of light of he also started to shoot culture at Florida free shooting university and then throwing shoes 20 yards down the field. He started it all. (laughs) Now, moving on to our storylines of the week, you got one, I got one. Uh, You want to go first? Yeah. So my, my story is about the Eric King and signing a NIL agreement with the Florida Panthers. Now I thought that this was very interesting because not only are the Florida Panthers just a hockey team, but they're, they represent the same market. I thought this is kind of a weird combination. So the deal calls for King to work with the Panthers to develop a merchandise collection, co-brand art, and his own exclusive concession menu to be available at all Panther home games and events for the coming season. So what I'm interested to see is, is do you, like, like this is like obviously try, them trying to unite all Miami sports together, correct? Yes. But my question is, is does this mean an NFL team can randomly start sponsoring a player in the middle of the season when they know they're going to have the first round pick, first draft pick, and let them know that, hey, we want you? I don't think and so. Like speaking to cash, like, what, what do you, yeah. like... That's just something that popped randomly in my head. I'm 
like, do you think that players would start just get sponsoring by NFL teams like in the later part of the season? I don't think so. And the, my reason why is because I want to I want to tie it into um, something else that I'm very passionate about gambling. There are a lot of athletes that openly gamble on sports. We know this to be true. Uh, Floyd Money Mayweather uh, was one of uh, is one of the most notorious right now, but they always bet unless it's Mayweather because Mayweather's crazy. They usually all always bet on other sports because they have no effect on the outcome and no no dog in the hunt really. Um, however, when players have been caught gambling on their sport such as Pete Rose, they get treated very harshly and punished very harshly for it, even if it does not involve their team. I think that that could end up being a thing where the, where NFL teams aren't allowed to sign NIL deals with college football players, but I think they could sign NIL deals with college basketball players, college baseball players and college football players can sign with, NBA teams or whatever. As long as it isn't a directly linear move and it's something that isn't, you know, between jumping sports, I think it'll be fine. It just, whenever it's within the same sport, I think there's going to be a huge problem with that. Does our former mumble rapper boy Anthony Edwards gets to sign with Young Money? <laughs> I mean, I can see it. They, let's be now? let's be honest though. Let's be honest though. If we're talking about NBA players that rap, Dame Dalla is better than anything Young Money's put out in a long time. <laughs> I don't know, man. Have you heard Shaq's individual albums? All oh, fire. Oh God. <laughs> Shaq Fu masterpiece. Uh, my storyline for the week is accountability with Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin is apparently he as a coach you always preach accountability and he said that he was last season but he was being hypocritical because he wasn't uh, practicing that himself his direct quote which I saw this and just absolutely lost it was he said that he was he was overweight during the season he said um, I saw a picture of me at the bowl game last year and told the players I look like an anaconda that has swallowed uh, an anaconda that has swallowed a deer and the deer got stuck in its neck so what did he do over the off season he went and lost over 30 pounds, which that's a huge number. And apparently the team has been opening up to this and practicing accountability for themselves because they also claim today that the vaccination rate on the team is at 100%, which is just incredible. Um, so who would have thought that the guy who threw false cheating accusations at UF when he was at Tennessee and got fired by Bama for banging Nick Saban's daughter would be the voice of reason in 2021. <laughs> also, I'm trying to see 
Mississippi State's vaccination rate. <laughs> uh, we have a solid 57%. Okay. <laughs> so who would have thought the team that conducted the piss miss was actually the reasonable ones? <laughs> Uh, moving forward, like I teased earlier, we're going to start doing our conference preview segments. Um, our first one for today is the American Athletic Conference slash mid-majors. So we have several different categories we're going to go through with this and then highlight some teams and answer some questions. So first, out of the mid-major teams of interest, first up, we have BYU. What's your thoughts on the Cougars this season? Well, they have a new experience, a new quarterback in Jacob Conover. They lost Wilson last year. And Conover is a true freshman with probably a more experienced wide receiver court than Wilson had. The Nakua brothers are transferring from Utah and Washington. BYU is returning seven offensive and four defensive starters. And they have seven Power 5 teams on their schedule with a few Pac-12 opponents. Makes sense. I think they probably get a record of 9-3 and three with their growing pains from Zach Wilson. For me, they went 11 and 1 last season on a cupcake schedule, but they lost Zach Wilson, Brady Christensen at tackle, and a couple other key pieces on that team. They actually play a really tough schedule for them this year. They play Arizona, Utah, and Arizona State in the first three weeks. And then later in the year, play Boise State, Baylor, Virginia, Washington State, and USC. I think this is a team that honestly could be a prime candidate for flop team of the year. Had they had the schedule last year, they would have been an 8-4 and four team, and they lost a lot of talent from that team. So I think maybe 500, maybe under for this BYU team, they're definitely going to take a big step back. Moving to a couple teams from the Sun Belt, Coastal Carolina, the breakout team of 2020. Do you think that they uh, bring it back this year? Well, they're returning 19 starters, and McCall's coming back with a year under experience, a year of experience under his belt, and ready for more. Coastal Carolina was the first 10 and 0 Sun Belt Conference team, and was the highest ranked Sun Belt Conference team ever. So you know, I like Phil Steele. I use that book, right? Mm-hmm. So Phil Steele, since I've got the book since 2006, had the Sun Belt as the absolute. Worst conference every single year, but he organizes it based off conference strength, and he moved them up to number eight, right behind the Mountain West, but ahead of CUSA and MAC, where they've been behind them for the last fifteen years. So clearly, Phil Steele also feels very confident about some belt. Mm-hmm. Coast Carolina has a weak Power Five team with Kansas. And other than that, they really don't face anybody of note. Should they be able to go undefeated? But the difference between that is a Wednesday night in Boone, North Carolina against App State. Although they find themselves in a weird territory with the Chanticleers going from the Hunter to the Hunted. I think that they probably end up in a New York Six Bowl game, but we don't 100% know that. I think they're obviously a candidate for it. I'm with you on that. They, As you said, they returned 19 starters, including Grayson McCall, who might be one of the top quarterback pro- uh, prospects in the next uh, draft, which would be interesting to follow. I think that they should compete for a New Year's Six slot, and they might actually get it. As you said, their only problem is a few chances to shine because out of conference, the only teams they play really are Kansas and Buffalo. But 
If App State steps back up, that will help tremendously. And we will talk about App State here in just a few seconds. Um, so I think Coastal is going to be running it back. Um, the runner up for the breakout team of 2020, in my opinion, was Liberty. What do you think about this, uh, about the Liberty Flames this year? Do they have enough flames to stay where they were? Well, Liberty has everybody coming back from the opposite side and nine defensive starters. And if you're a quarterback, Willis can stay healthy, should be able to develop even more, becoming a more talented star. Their biggest test they have is a game at Mississippi and Lane Kiffin, which will most likely turn into a shootout. Also, keep an eye out. They do play UAB. I believe this team has a chance to turn into a New York Six, New Year's Six squad as well. Just with two bigger tests than I thought. I'm with you on that. Uh, as you said, returning 20 starters, including Malik Willis, who is also one of the top quarterback prospects in the upcoming draft. It's amazing how much Liberty and Coastal mirror each other, especially given that they faced each other in the bowl game last year here in Orlando. Um, they do have a weak schedule, but they have three chances to shine. They go at Syracuse, at Ole Miss, which is quite ironic. Hugh Freeze going back to Ole Miss, and then versus Army to end the season. Given their schedule, I think that they are a likely favorite. Uh, likely favorite for the uh, or the most likely non AAC team for that Group of Five slot. Um, moving to the Appalachian State Mountaineers, who we briefly discussed, uh, I'm going to take the floor on this one myself, real quick. Uh, they returned 17 stars from a team that was solid but not normal caliber for the Mountaineers last season. The big question is. They lost Zach Thomas, a quarterback, and they replaced him with Chase Bryce, who is now at his third school after leaving Clemson and Duke. That said, they have the defense to be possibly the best group of five team, but they need Bryce to be a worthy heir apparent and Zach Thomas to be in that conversation. They have three huge games on their docket. Uh, the first one is the second week of the season at Miami, where we'll actually be able to see how good this team is. And then they play Coastal and Louisiana in conference. I think this is going to be a squad that it's going to be interesting to see them. They might bounce back, but it's all going to be on the play of Chase Bryce. Yeah, I just think Bryce needs to actually grow up pretty fast, you know? Yeah. As Miami in week two, and with, with these conferences, it's all about the non-conference games, I argue. Because if your conference can win the non-conference games and, you know, beat some small Power 5 schools, beat some mid-Power 5 schools, it really boosts up the conference's image. So Appalachian State has to do their part here and win for one against Miami or to gain the respect for the Sunbelt Conference and start boosting the other profiles of the other teams within their conference. Uh, lastly, on the non-American uh, conference group of five teams, we have the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Uh, Billy Napier is back. Uh, after being in a bunch of uh, coaching rumors, but why do you think about his squad this year? Well, Lafayette has 10 offensive stars and 10 defensive stars returning, and Levi Lewis is returning to lead this ragtag group of Cajuns. He was second team all S Sun Belt Conference, and I think this might be an interesting thriller in some sort of way. Is I wonder if Louisiana can pull it off against in their opening game against Texas. That's going to be one that we're going to have to throw on our uh, weekly picks uh, for week one because that is going to be a really interesting game given how they do return those twenty starters. 
And this show, it will show what the team is fully capable of. And like I said, it's a big portfolio because it's not these teams just building their own portfolio. It's building the portfolio of some belt. Exactly. Uh, now, in my opinion, I'm like, do you, they return 20 starters and anyone that returns 20 out of 22 starters is going to be in a good position uh, to run it back, especially when uh, one of those 20 starters is your starting quarterback. Uh, that game against Texas is going to be the litmus test for the entire season, in my opinion. But also later in the year, they do play at, at Kid Brewer Stadium in uh, Boone, North Carolina. So that should be an interesting game as well, uh, an interesting team to follow this season. Uh, moving to the American Athletic Conference, first off, we have to go with the school that you went to uh, for grad school, the UCF Knights. Uh, I'm going to let you have the floor on this one. What do you think about the Knights this year? Well, obviously, UCF Knights, the big story, hit a home run and getting their head coach at Gus Malzahn, and it was a complete turnover when you look at it. They lost Mike, or not Mike White, Danny White. They're athletic director and he lost our head football coach it, it was a complete turnaround of what ucf was from the scott frost era i honestly was, think that malzahn is an upgrade really 100%. so you're looking at ucf and they have an explosive offense with an established team they were turning 17 stars for dylan gabriel back on and they should be explosive as ever although playing boise and all the big boys of the AAC will hinder them. Also, UCF just needs to find a kicker. They're one kicker away from several wins last season. Yeah, they definitely need to get better on special teams, but returning 17 stars and Dylan Gabriel is going to be huge. They have three new transferring in wide receivers from um, um, major conferences, getting Brandon Johnson from Tennessee, Jordan Johnson from Notre Dame, and Nate Craig Myers from Auburn, who played under Malzahn there for the Tigers. They're looking to bounce back from a tough season a year ago, but as you alluded to, last year wasn't even really that bad for them. It's just their kicker was bad, so if they can fix that, then they'll be right on, right back on track. Uh, the other question is, do they have the defense to do it as well? It is a huge loss for them to lose uh, All-American Center or All-American Safety um, um, Richie Grant, but Getting Georgia transfer Devod Wilson should help in that department. We'll see how good they are right off the bat as they face Boise State and Louisville in two of their first three games. But I, I like what the Knights are bringing to the table this year. Moving out to uh, Memphis, we've got the Tigers who are returning uh, head coach Ryan Silverfield and a lot of starters, but they're losing Brady White. How do you think this team fares? Well, you see, with Brady White, I feel like he really helped Erase that negative impact of Norvell leaving. I, I think you agree with that statement as well. 100%. And they're returning eight offensive starters and eight defensive starters. They play Mississippi State as their true test game, withdrawing UCF and SMU. But I just think Memphis might actually be a candidate for the flop team of the conference this year. Because there's going to be a huge, huge, huge amount of growing pains. And just trying to figure out exactly who this new coach is because you erased exact you erased their identity. Now now they have no the quarterback's no longer there. 
and now it's all Ryan Silverfield and what he's going to do. So I'm not going to uh, give away everything on this team because they are the answer for one of my categories later. But I will say for now that it was losing Brady White, who threw for 11,000 yards and 90 touchdowns in his career or around there, is going to be a big loss. They do have three replacement options, though. Arizona transfer Grant Gunnell, former LSU star recruit Peter Parrish, and Helon Brown is the in-house guy. Uh, but I will give my full breakdown on this team coming up here shortly. Um, moving just a little south from uh, Memphis into the Dallas area, we've got uh, the SMU Mustangs who had a surprising year last year. Uh, how do you think they fare this year? Well, honestly, SMU has been a surprise the last two years. We don't, I think when you talk about the 2020 football season, it's kind of like a sneak peek of what this season's going to be because a lot of those players use that extra year that they got. Mm-hmm. So they got to have, like, I guess last year you could argue it was kind of a scrimmage year for those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Sonny Dykes, he returns nine offensive and nine defensive starters. Of course, they draw TCU for the Battle of the Iron Skillet, which is probably going to be covered in the podcast. It will be the 100th meeting between the two schools. They have a brand-new quarterback replacing Bouchel, but they have time to develop him with three easy wins against Abilene Christian, North Texas, and at Louisiana Tech before they play the Iron Skillet match. They draw Memphis, UCF, and Cincinnati, which is probably one of the harder AAC draws that you can get. And this team is going to have all they can handle this year. And obviously, I don't think they're they're going to go to a big bowl game. I feel like they're going to be one going to like a Boca Raton or a Frisco Bowl. So, as you said, they do return all those starters, but they do lose Shane Michelle at quarterback. However, uh, in to replace him is Oklahoma transfer quarterback Tanner Mordecai, who's actually a pretty darn good quarterback. And really important to help him in uh, ease into that job. Not only does he have three easy games to start the season, but they also return all five starters in the offensive line and running back Ulysses Bentley the fourth. So their running game is going to be stellar again this year. Also worth noting, uh, their new defensive coordinator is Jim Levitt, who you might remember was the head coach for USF back in the day and really did a good job of developing that program years ago. Um, so this is another one of the answers for one of my questions later. So I'm holding a little bit back on this, but um, it's just going to be interesting to see how this team fares. Our last team to break down individually um, for the American is the Cincinnati Bearcats who won the conference last year and really, really should have beaten Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. What do you expect from the Bearcats this year? Yeah, they returned seven stars or offensive stars, seven defensive stars. And they have a test game against Notre Dame, Indiana, which, you know, I never thought I'd say a test game for Indiana. <laughs> Am I wrong? They haven't been good since Corso until last season. <laughs> That's going to decide a strength of schedule. They also draw UCF and SMU for their conference schedule. And last year they had a great showing, but they kind of just unraveled against Georgia. And it was like a really weird thing because Georgia definitely deserved to lose that game. And if all goes well and they enter undefeated and Notre Dame and Indiana does their job, and they do their job against Indiana and Notre Dame, 
I feel like you could argue that Cincinnati has the right to beat a first group of five school to have an argument for the playoffs. Yep. Uh, Ridger is back at quarterback, which is a huge thing for this team. And other than replacing their two starting tackles, which can be tough, ask the Kansas City Chiefs how that went in the Super Bowl. They returned basically everything else, including several key defensive players on the in the line and secondary who were expected to leave for the NFL. They do, as you said, have those two big out-of-conference games against Notre Dame and Indiana, but they have the chance to be a playoff team this year if they win both and run the table again in conference. Uh, I really like this team. I really, really, really like this team. Uh, so going to our conference questions. First off, who was your surprise team of the year? Well, I'm going to give you a hint. It used to have the like hottest college football wife roaming its sideline. Oh. See, I would think Florida Atlantic with Lane Kiffin, but who are you thinking? We're talking about Todd Her- Tom Herman's wife. Oh. We're talking about the Houston Cougars. Yeah. <laughs> They're returning 18 players. And last year, any team would have been out of rhythm what they had to deal with. They had the first three games postponed. They, then they played six straight weeks afterwards. Then they had another month before they saw the field again. And anybody can be frustrated after that. Mm-hmm. And they return a very experienced squad, just like everybody else. But you have to keep in mind, with Holgerson, he kind of had two 2020s. And I'll make the argument that 2019 was a weird season because Tierra King just decided to sit out after the first four games. Mm-hmm. And you had a bill, you you gave him all the first team reps and everything, and he decides to sit down. And you kind of, you kind of, I don't think we've ever seen anything like that, to be honest. Yeah, that that whole thing was a real saga. I mean, Derek King with Houston was Jalen Johnson before Jalen Johnson. <laughs> so, like, I'm, I'm, I see this year as Holgerson's chance to make himself known and actually is his first, like, actual litmus test. Because I feel like the first two seasons, you could just really scratch off as, like, you know, like, really trying circumstances. I think that they may go 500 this year because last year, or three and five, I think we can get to 500, maybe six, you know, get seven and five. I think that's reasonable. My surprise team is SMU. And the reason why is because even though they had two good years the last few years, people are expecting them to be in the uh, the middle of the pack in the American due to losing Shane Michelle. However, Tanner Mordecai is a really good quarterback. And the most important thing for this team is their running game continuity, which was how they ran a lot of their offense last year. And they might be even better given the addition of Trey Siggers from the, uh, North Texas. I think this is a team that with returning all their uh, rushing firepower, all five starters in their offensive line, and adding Jim Levitt as a defensive coordinator, which is a major get given that he has head coaching experience in turning a mid-major team into a really good team and then going to the NFL and having NFL experience. Uh, I think he is going, or I think uh, he's going to lead that side of the ball quite well. And that's going to be the surprise team for me from the American. Now on the other side of that coin, who is your flop team? Well, my flop, I have three, but like, okay. So then let me go first. USF, Navy, and Temple. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you what's interesting. 
is that when you look at the AAC, can you think of a conference more like turbulent and like who's the top that year and then who's the bottom that year? Because if we were having this podcast, when we first started this podcast, USF maybe were the names of the conference. You had Reynolds. Yeah, US, USF was really doing pretty well, too, and winning a lot of games. Mm-hmm. And now that they, they've all kind of just fallen off. And I just think that that's just kind of interesting. It's just how turbulent this conference is, especially when you look at, you know, what's going on in college football, how like there's kind of this tier listing. There's no tier listing in the AAC. Anything can happen. Yeah. Um, for me, that flop team is Memphis. They finished eight and four last season as the offense dipped, even while retaining Brady White. Now White is gone, and they don't have a clear answer at the one position that kept them afloat last year. Additionally, I, when I was doing my research, I just googled you know Memphis Tigers football season preview. I had it, and the first several storylines that came up were bad reports from practice. And for a team that you're already thinking could be bad, that's not what you want to see is the head coach going on record saying, oh, yeah, that was a bad practice. Here's what we need to do to improve it. Uh, I think this is a team that's going to be below 500 this year, which is quite a drop off from two years ago. Um, Now, you mentioned that this is a really flip flop conference. Who do you think plays in the conference title game? I have Cincinnati versus UCF in an offensive shootout. I'm the same way, and who would you think wins the conference? Cincinnati. Same. Defense just incredible. I bet as well. Yep, yep. The defense is just incredible, and they have Ritter back. Now, do you want a bold prediction? So, Cincinnati will either win their New Year's Six Bowl game, or they become the first group of five team to make the playoff. One of those two things is guaranteed happening. Put it down. This team's going to finish the year in the final in the final rankings in the top six in the country. Well, where are they? Have we even released the AP yet? I don't know. I don't think so. But they are they are finishing the year in the top six. Like, go ahead and mark it down. Because it's all about preseason where you start off. Mm-hmm. Now moving to the ACC. Uh, Going to go through the same categories. Uh, we have several teams of interest. First, any discussion about the ACC has to start in one place, Clemson Tigers. You're losing a ton of talent on offense, including number one pick Trevor Lawrence, as well as Travis Etienne and Amari Rogers. But this is a team that reloads, not rebuilds. Why do you think about this team this year? Well, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, DJ, I'm wondering – how good his performance was actually against Notre Dame. Because Notre Dame got kind of blown out in the playoffs by Alabama. But that was the game that he got to shine, and he looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. And Clemson has a very easy schedule. When you just glance down it, there's like no uh-oh games besides the first game of the season against Georgia. Mm-hmm. So they had a story quarterback that played whites out, but like DJ... Ugalele. I think that's how you say it. Ugalele. Ugalele. There you go. He is kind of like just ready to go. He's he's young, reloaded. They also have five offensive starters and nine defensive starters. We know that Clemson 
yeah, their offense takes like the cake and like how good that they have been. But you know, the Clemson Tigers haven't haven't really like their defense has been kind of like the unsung hero. Like they've been really, really, really good. But you know, Trevor Lawrence kind of took over like the narrative. Mm-hmm. And actually, they have a great chance of winning their seventh straight ACC title and six straight off straight playoff appearance. Yeah, uh, I anyone that listened to the podcast last year knows I really. Really, really love DJ Wigalele. I was trying to argue during the uh, rematch in the ACC title game that getting Trevor Lawrence back wasn't going to provide too much of a boost over Wigalele because of how Wigalele performed against Notre Dame in the first matchup of the year. I am 100% full sale on this guy. The kid is a monster. And they returned 10 starters on defense that looks to be more physical and improve on last year's team, including uh, defensive leader James Skalski at linebacker, who is returning for his sixth season and is the only player in history to play in five consecutive uh, ACC championship games. They'll definitely win the conference again, in my opinion. But the question is just how good are they? You know, do they have enough to win the national title, basically? On the flip side of that, we have the biggest dumpster fire in the country, arguably, Florida State. Uh, This was a team that regularly featured in our stories of the week last year for a variety of different things, from Mike Norvell sending out questionable text to players to there being the massive report on ESPN.com. But what do you think is their outlook for this season? Well, they have all the returning talent that they had, talent, quotation marks, and get settled into a new offense. These players, I do feel bad for them because, like, when you're learning three new offenses in four, year, in four years, it's kind of like three different languages, you know? Mm-hmm. How it runs and just everything it just becomes a little more problematic. But Mackenzie Malton looks to be the favorite for starting quarterback, and I have to wonder... Is are they that desperate, or is Melton back to full strength? I'm wondering that same thing. I feel like they're putting way too much faith in the guy that had one of the worst leg injuries I've ever seen. Um, I do hope he recovers from that injury, and I do legitimately hope that he plays well. That being said, they were three and six last season. Norvell had a really rough first year in the locker room as well, and they did not have a good defense and still lost five players to the NFL from that side of the ball. This could get ugly in Tallahassee. I said their best case scenario is winning eight eight wins because they have um, they have brutal schedule. They play Notre Dame, Miami, North Carolina, and Florida. You think they can win eight games? I think that they at best are five. I said, I said at best. Yeah, my at my at best is like five wins. <laughs> Yikes! Yeah, I think that's a dumpster fire. Um, going back up to the Carolinas, we have the UNC Tar Heels, who returned 21 of 22 starters from the team that played in the Orange Bowl game specifically last year, including Sam Howell at quarterback. How do you think this team fares? Oh, come on. You got you to gotta do the anime references. Every time you mention Sam Howell, you have to add it. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Howell's Moving Castle is going to have a couple new targets this year. Uh, they did lose two good receivers in Yami Brown and uh, uh, Javante Williams, or, or Yami Brown, uh, 
and um, Williams, but they should replace them with return uh, returning receiver Josh Allen and Yami's younger brother uh, Coffrey. Now uh, Coffrey Brown. Now complimenting Howell's move in Castle, uh, they lost Michael Carter and Javante Williams, but replaced him with Tennessee transfer Ty Chandler, who was a monster at the position. They had the number fourteen recruiting class in the country which the best they've had in a long time I can remember. I don't think they'll miss a beat, and they might be better than last year's squad. Well, North Carolina is coming off the first major bowl game since 1950s Cotton Bowl. Just let that sink in. That was 71 years ago? Yeah. And now they're revamping with a QB that was second-team ACC. They have eight returning office stars and 10 defensive stars returning. And they lost four NFL drafts choices, but they get a rematch at Notre Dame in Miami at home. It's going to be interesting to see what how how the Tar Heels react. Mac Brown has got the Tar Heels roaring, though. Mentioning the the Miami Hurricanes, how do you think they fare this season? Well, they can't. They get Alabama in Week One, so whenever you have Alabama Week One, ever since. I think, who was it? Was it Jameis Winston who got injured in week one against Alabama? No, it was, uh, oh, shoot. DeAndre Francois. DeAndre Francois. Playing Alabama for your first season game is hard. And also, it seems like you always have your best players get really banged up against those guys. Mm Mm-hmm. So I feel like if Miami, I, I feel like Miami's going to lose that game most definitely. But it's more of a war of attrition of who you don't get injured. And Miami does do a good job. They they have a kind of a clear path. They avoid Clemson, mm-hmm. and they have ten stars on offense, nine stars on defense, and they showed vast improvement last year under Manny Diaz, the hometown. Boy, and they also returned to Eric King, who will have more time to develop in this new system of play. The only thing that I have concerns about with Miami was when the game wasn't competitive and they weren't blowing them their opponents out. They were the ones being blown out. They lost seventeen to forty two to Clemson, and then an inexcusable twenty six sixty two loss to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- that said, they do return twenty stars from last year's team. My question is uh, something kind of related to what you said about their health against Alabama, but can the Eric King fully return from a torn ACL and can he stay healthy all season? That's going to be the one thing that decides how far this team can go. I think they should be still a really solid team. I think they'll probably be better than last year as well. Um, they did kind of make a deal with the devil to uh, avoid Clemson in conference, but in doing so, they pay the price by getting Alabama that first week of the season. But, you know, assuming to start the season only one, that's not a disaster, especially given that's not going into your conference standings. So I, I think this is a really solid team. Finally, we have to discuss, even though they are an independent and they're going back to independent uh, this year, the other team that played against Clemson in the ACC championship game last year, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Um, technically, they're not in the ACC, but they still play five conference games against the ACC. And uh, in every other sport, they are in the ACC. So um, I still think they deserve a discussion in this category. Uh, they are going back to being independent, but in their uh, ACC games, they face UNC and they face Virginia Tech. 
their non-conference schedule gets tougher, though, as they face Cincinnati, Wisconsin, USC, and the long-awaited re- return of the Purdue rivalry. How do you think the Notre Dame Fighting Irish for this year? Well, they return three offense stars and six defense stars. I'm going to give you a little fact here. So you know Cup, the uh, uh, new quarterback for Notre Dame. Yeah. So he had a higher passer efficiency at Wisconsin in 2019, 151.8, than Ian Book did in both 18 and 19. So that's going to be interesting. But also, I just don't see him having that efficient of the year because he has a expected offensive line to have two freshmen starting. That's not what you want. I see Notre Dame getting knocked off maybe three times this year. They're not going to be to that level. And we're not going to have to deal with the whole, like, are they going to sneak into the playoff because they play nobody? So I'm going to kind of go out of order a little bit on our notes, and I'm going to go ahead and hit our uh, conference questions, our, uh, uh, our flop team of the year. This is my flop team of the year. As you said, and I think it's not just in the uh, ACC slash independent. I think this could be the overall number one flop team of the year. As you said, they only returned three starters on offense. That includes losing four starters on the offensive line, which is massive for a team that relies heavily on a power running game and Ian Book, a quarterback. And while you said that about Jack Cohn, Cohn's passing numbers are all in the short and intermediate game, which I do not like that because he cannot stretch the field. And the one problem Notre Dame had last year was that same thing. They could not stretch the field. In addition to losing five defensive starters, they lose three really key defenders, including their leader on that side of the ball, Jeremiah Owusu-Kamura. I really do not like this team uh, facing a, a lot of that lost talent and with going back to a much tougher schedule because facing UNC, facing uh, USC, facing Virginia Tech, facing um, Stanford, um, facing um, Cincinnati, I I think this is an absolute disaster for this team. Also, under the radar, not only do they lose all that talent from the offensive side, they're also having to replace defensive coordinator Clark Lee, who is now the head coach at Vanderbilt. So they don't even have the defensive side of the ball to rely on necessarily. So, yeah, this is going to be a, a major, major step back for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish this year, in my opinion. Who's they winning against Florida State? Yeah, because it's Florida State. <laughs> uh, who's your flop team from the ACC? My flop team is actually going to be the defending coastal champions of Virginia. So Virginia has eight offensive starters and six defensive starters, which is actually pretty low considering what everybody else is kind of pulling out. And you look at them and they play kind of an interesting non-conference schedule. They pull out BYU and Notre Dame, not back to back. They have a break before Notre Dame. But they also just don't look to have the same steam that they did. In 2020, they went 5-5, five and five, and they're still trying to find their way on the offense or offensive side of the ball. With Armstrong being quarterback, he just kind of struggled all year last year. He made more on the ground, really, 
made more of a difference on the ground than he did actually through the air. And I think it was like kind of like an opening of like, okay, Bronco Mendenhall, you built the program up. Now can you sustain it? I just don't see him sustaining that. Now, who is your surprise team of the year? I have two. Okay. I'll go ahead then because I just have one listed. Mine is Boston College. They went six and five last season and coached Jeff Halfley's first year, which coming in during a pandemic is really hard to build the locker room culture that you want. But this is a program that has not been really good in a long time. However, they returned quarterback Phil Jerkovec. I do like to jerk of it. I mean, jerk of that. And, and they return all five offensive line starters, which is crucial for a team that has a power running game as their focus, like Boston College. In addition to that, they have a stable of good running backs that can rotate in and out and get a lot of carries, which they're, again, just absolutely built for a team like Boston College. Uh, nine starters return on defense as well. And the continu- uh, continuity can help make for a big jump on that side of the ball. Additionally, the most important thing, they have a very, very favorable schedule. They got Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech as their two cross-division games. And I'm just going to go down their schedule and read it to you. So they open up the season with a game against Colgate. Then play at UMass. At Temple, host Missouri, at Clemson, which, yeah, okay, that's a loss, but who's beating Clemson? Versus NC State, at Louisville, at Syracuse, versus Virginia Tech, at home in November, at Georgia Tech, versus Florida State, versus Wake Forest. I think this could be a 10 win team. Well, you see, you have a surprise team. And then I have a surprise team in that same division. Okay. Wake Forest. Ooh, interesting. Because Wake Forest has 11 offensive starters coming back. And their offense was actually really explosive. They're putting up over 38 points in, in like seven, in six of their nine games. They also have everybody returning on the offense. They have almost everybody returning on the defense. And like you said, reading down to schedule, they have Old Dominion, Norfolk State, Florida State, all home. At Virginia, Louisville, at Syracuse. So you could easily see them coming in 5-1, 6-0 here, right? Mm-hmm. And you have at what, Army West Point, you have Duke. You could easily see them at not, or like 8 an O right here, right? Mm-hmm. That's where it gets a little tricky. Is that North Carolina, NC State, at Clemson, at Boston College? But they, I think that they doubled their win total in just a season. Also, yeah. my other team is on the other side, the Coastal Coastal Division, NC State. Now, NC State has nine offensive returning starters and 10 defense starters. They actually catch Clemson on their home field. Now, NC State's like one of those teams where it just seems like they can pull a rabbit out of the house sometimes. They can catch you by surprise. Also, with that, they have kind of a weak strength, or they have a pretty strong schedule. They have um, UNC and Miami, and that's one of my challenges is like, can they beat those two? But last year, I'm going to take a note. They had a school record of seven ACC wins. They're on a third program that's on the rise. 
I seriously thought about making uh, NC State as my surprise team of the year. So I'm glad to see that you put them up there for yourself because that kind of confirms that for me. Um, now, the two most important questions, um, who plays for the conference title game and who wins the conference? I think, obviously, we're going to pick Clemson to win the conference. We're going to pick Clemson to win the division. But who do you think wins on the other division? Miami over North Carolina. Okay. I've got UNC over Miami. So, and I, and I do want to point out something on UNC. Their defense should improve with the return of an all-ACC corner who missed last season but has one of the best names in football, Storm Duck. <laughs> don't, you, don't you just love having Storm Duck as a key contributor on that team? <laughs> that sounds like a B-list character on DuckTales. <laughs> Low-key, I can see it. I was also thinking of uh, B-Stars. <laughs> stars oh my god <laughs> well that's it folks you know Hawks just like pretty much outed himself as a furry no that's you <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know about that show if it wasn't for you so <laughs> uh, <laughs> well uh, that's all the time we've got for, uh, for this week. Thank you very much for joining us. We are glad to have you back for the start of this season. I'm Justin Cox. And I'm Brown Williams. And we are the Between the Upright College Football Show.